So, uh, but we had a great time and uh, we just went as a family, you know, and uh, we've been talking about it all week. I've been trying to catch up uh, family members and friends about what, was that, what that was all about. Uh, but uh, there's so much in that story that uh, one day, hopefully, we may, we may have to do a sermon series on it or something. Because there's, something, there's a lot of uh, uh, the story of the gospel that's, un, that's under the foundation of that story. There's a lot in that uh, story that's very powerful. And there's a lot in that story that sometimes is like challenging as well. Um, so, but uh, I won't hold you long. Uh, the kids uh, gave us a great worshipful time together. And uh, our teens led us in worship this morning. Thank the teens. Good job, girls. Handle on the keyboards. Uh, dust on the guitar. And uh, let's just jump right into this. I won't be long for you. I, I really mean that today. I really do mean that, actually. Um, well, I'll try to do it as long as I can so we can have that Jesus party in the back. Because, you know, I hate for them to have one, like one bite of cake and then it'd be time to go. So... I, can, I, I think I'll try to listen in and see how far they got into their story and what they're doing back there. So then we'll finish up when they're done with cake and ice cream. Before I jump into this, uh, the passage I'll be reading from is from Luke chapter 2. Um, I just want to pray. Holy and gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together in this Advent season. God, to worship you, God, to hear from you, to be revitalized in our spirit and our souls, to be refreshed uh, in this world, oh God. Sometimes they can leave us weary and heartbroken and quite frankly, in despair. But God, we understand that in this season, oh God, Lord, we stand in your presence, God, with anticipation and expectation of your coming. However that may be, with light, with joy, with love. But God, we thank you right now, God. We stand humbly in your presence for that. God, speak your word to your people this morning as we jump into the birth of your son, Jesus, and talk about the invasion of love that started 2,000 years ago. We thank you for all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just to be reminded that we right now are gathered in the name of Jesus. This is interesting because right now, this is the fourth Advent. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. There are literally billions and billions of people all over the world doing what we're doing right now in this hour. Think about that for a moment. In almost every continent on this earth, there are people using the same language, having the same anticipation and expectation that we all have this morning. That's something to think about for a moment. All the different cultures, all the different languages celebrating Advent this morning. And one of those texts uh, that has come down through the centuries as an Advent text, that season of waiting that season of expectation of Jesus is in our passage this morning in Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> like Dustin said earlier, as I read this, I want you to notice the scenery. And this morning, I really don't have, uh, 
uh, how to grow spiritually. I don't have a seven steps to spiritual fulfillment. I don't have this morning how to have 50 million different ways to have supernatural water walking faith. I don't have any of that this morning. All I have is the task this morning is to simply tell you the story. So this morning, I'm just going to do a sort of a reading of the story and add some thoughts into that as we go. So this is not going to be a practical sermon. There will be absolutely nothing pragmatic about this sermon whatsoever. I am just going to tell the story. Now, here's the thing. God is so bad. God is so bad that even if you don't even believe the story even happened, the story will change you. You ain't got to believe that the historicity of this baby Jesus that lived in first century Palestine, you ain't even got to believe the literal uh, uh, biography or the actual historical reference of Jesus in the first century to believe the changing power of this story. This story will change you whether you believe it or not. Paul told us a while back, he says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not well-crafted arguments. So think about this morning. I just want to tell the story. And the story will change me. Turn to your neighbor and say, the story will change me. Amen. Luke chapter 2. Let's get that verse up. I apologize to the, to the media team. I told them to start with verse 8. So forgive me. I'm going to start with verse 1. And then we'll jump in with verse 8. Oh. Oh, oh man. Oh, awesome. Man. How'd, you, how'd you know? Oh, okay. All right. I want to enter in this morning into this story. There's something about this story this morning that speaks powerfully in this moment in our society right now. So I don't know if we're going to leave here happy or joyful or somber. I don't know, but let's just find out what happens here. Verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee in Judea for Bethlehem, the town of David, became because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be with Mary, was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room, no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <clears throat> but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company, <coughs> suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed and what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. So for the past several weeks, we've been talking about love revealed. We've been talking about justice, life, forgiveness of sins. And today we're going to be talking about love really being revealed 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. And precisely, I want to say that what began 2,000 years ago was what I want to call it the Christmas Revolution. Now, the thing that's interesting is, is this. Let's get back into the story another way. One of the things I tell folks who study the scriptures, always ask yourself this question before you try to understand the meaning of the text. Or I'm always trying to find the answer to the text. The first question I always ask, and my friends who are close to me will tell you, who study scripture with me, they'll tell you, what's actually happening in the scene? What's happening in the scene? And the thing that Luke does, the first thing that Luke does in verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus <coughs> called, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, for those of us in 21st century America, we have some kind of sense of what that is. When we think of census, we think about those annoying folks that show up at your door asking a whole bunch of questions about how much you make, how many people in the household, <clears throat> and all that stuff. And that's the way for our government. I used to work for the census, so I know, like, you know I got turned around and all kind of nasty stuff happened to me when I was a census worker once. And so I know how people can be towards census workers. So they come, make census, whenever that is. Y'all just be nice to them. But the Roman census was a little bit different. <clears throat> the, the Roman census was a way for the Romans to make sure that people paid their taxes. And they needed money. Taxes was money. They would go conquer territories, <coughs> set up posts in different parts of the world, and they would take money from those places and taxes. And those taxes 
were used to beef up their military, pay the fat cats back in Rome, and to increase their ability to control foreign lands. So when Luke tells us this, this is a decree <coughs> that comes straight from Rome. Now, I love the contrast in the story. So the story starts off here in Rome, in the seat of the palace. So a decree goes forth to the Roman Empire from a place of opulence, of power. Think D.C. Think Wall Street. <coughs> Think Hollywood. Think state capital. So a decree went out from Rome from the Roman emperor. Now the thing is, Caesar Augustus was the Roman empire. Now the thing was is that the, the belief about Caesar was this, <coughs> that he was a Roman emperor, but he was also called in, in, in an inscription in Rome as the savior of the world. Y'all know that? The Roman emperor was called the savior of the world. He was also Caesar Augustus, his name was also Son of God. Now check this, this is what will we'll, we'll really, maybe some of you know that, some of you are scholars here. Uh, Caesar Augustus was also believed to have been a king uh, that was conceived by God. That a God came and showed up, <coughs> got with his mother, and there's a virgin kind of story there. There is an immaculate kind of story of birth surrounding uh, the Roman emperor. Now, here's the thing. Now, some of you, I, I got a lot of friends that are in conspiracy theories, in particular against Christianity. Now, you know, y'all probably know some of this stuff, right? If you go to YouTube and there's always people talking about how the Christians robbed from other cultures about the virgin birth and all that. And the thing is, here's the thing. When first, Christ, first century Christians had heard about the virgin birth in the, in, in the story of Luke, this would not have been unfamiliar to them. Because the virgin stories were a dime a dozen in the ancient world. It wasn't weird. It was commonplace to have a king, a ruler, an emperor, to have divine birth, a divine origin of his birth. But I want you to notice what happens. We start in the palace. We start in the seat of power. Emperor, the divine emperor, Caesar Augustus makes a decree for there to be a census. <coughs> and the way they would do the census is this, they would mobilize Infantry, soldiers throughout the lands. And it was not always just about taxation, but it was also about conscription of soldiers. It was like a draft in certain places. So they would go to your town, get taxes, and get your strongest men and conscript them to be a part of their army to extend their power throughout the world. So it was taxation and human labor. <clears throat> so this is where Luke starts us out in this Christmas story. 
in the place of power, in the palace of power. In verse 4 it says, uh, so Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, Judea, to Bethlehem, in the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. So David goes to Bethlehem to pay his taxes, to do his duty, right? Because he lives in Israel, right? He is, uh, in, in particular, is in Bethlehem, which today is Palestine. He's a first century Palestinian, right? So he goes to the land in which the, the, the origin of his family, the house of David, to pay taxes. Now the thing about this is, this is occupied territory, kind of similar today that we see in Jerusalem. Uh-oh. The occupation of Palestinian land. Very similar to what we see today. Now, before I get accused of saying, okay, you're buying into the Muslim propaganda, I'm just repeating what Christian Palestinians tell me. Y'all do know there's Christian Palestinians, right? There are Christians that live in Palestine. This is what they say. I ain't even tell you what the Muslims said. I'm just telling you what the Christians say, who don't live in Israel, but who live in Palestine, right? Where there are Christians who live in Palestinian world, who actually lead, who help lead their country, who help lead their land. There are Christians in political power in Palestine. Did y'all know that? Did y'all even know, did y'all know that? But there are actually Christians that live, that have political offices in Palestine. There's never been a Christian to have political power in Israel. Never. Just keep that in mind. Had to go there for a moment. I don't know why, but we're dealing with refugees and, and, and all this, this, this season. I think it's important for Christians to understand that this gospel is more powerful in your, natural, your national identity, that you are part of the global body of Jesus. So Joseph is in preoccupied territory, and he's with a Mary to register for the census, who's been pledged to marry him. And they're expecting a child. Now, y'all know in the other gospel, you know, God has, Tony preached this last week, you know, God shows up, the, well, Joseph gets the news that his girlfriend's fiance is pregnant. And I can't even imagine, I asked Tony this morning, I said, do you think Joseph was heartbroken? His fiance comes up to him and says, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. It's okay, it's by God, but God did it, but it's okay. Can you imagine that? Like, do you think, oh, wow, that's great. It's, it's, it's God. It's okay. I wonder if he was heartbroken. We would like to think, you know, in our perfect world that, you know, he's like, oh, that sucks. Okay. Oh, but hey, God did it. It's all right. But Joseph seems to get past this. The angel speaks to him, tells him this is of God. Don't be worried about it. God is somehow mysteriously, powerfully in the midst, in the midst of this, and it's going to be all right. There's something about 
uh, the promise and blessing of God in this particular story here? Is it seem like sometimes when we're in the thick of the will of God, even in the midst of blessing, our hearts can be broken? And so we kind of see this with Joseph coming out of that. So Joseph is in the thick of it. He's down with the program. He totally gets it. And so he's with Mary there in the census. And in verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Dustin talked about that. That was that there was a guest room. There was a family room. There was a living room. There was a, the room where the animals were to keep them safe at night and warm. So verse 8, and there, and so all this is happening with Joseph and Mary. Then the thick of the census, I can imagine there being Roman troops in the neighborhood, making sure monitoring the systems there is a military presence there. It's probably not a really harmonious, peaceful scene. They're probably like, you know, the Roman officials there telling the Jewish leaders there to tell them what to do and how much to pay. <coughs> and so they're probably in the thick of the thrones of the crowds. And they're trying to find a place to, uh, to stay during this census. And they find a place, a manger, in a room, probably of a relative. The feeding trough of animals, more than likely. But then the, the, the scene switches. Think about the story for a moment. It starts with the place of power and opulence and military political strength, as they say in the world of scholarship, real politique. Then it shifts to the place of occupation with those who control the world with oppression and tyranny and fear, mongering, and imposition and control to the place of occupation and then the scene shifts in verse 8 and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel of the Lord said to them do not be afraid <clears throat> and that word afraid there, when they saw the angel, it says they were startled. They were uh, fearful of what they had experienced. And that word there is not like, oh my gosh, I'm in awe. It was more like something scared them so bad, they want to run. But then the angel says, do not be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord the promised one this will be a sign to you you will find a baby 
wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I tried to imagine what this scene was like in my head. Like, it wasn't make this a movie production. What would this look like to have this startling scene? To be shepherds in a community that's occupied with Roman soldiers who represent the most powerful military, political, and economic force in the first century. Their town is occupied with soldiers running around. Their presence, the power of Rome is very present in their neighborhoods and their community. Imagine living in Salisbury and tanks riding around and soldiers on every corner making sure you get home for curfew. Can you imagine that? This is probably what this scene is kind of like. They know Romans in control. But as they're out in the fields, the shepherds, and they can see that community off in the distance, an angel appears. And they get startled. And so in my mind, you know, I've been in this kind of Star Wars mode and, and alien invasion mode. I've been watching a lot of alien invasion movies lately. I was like, man, that's kind of like, you know, you ever seen a movie when people kind of minding their own business in the streets and UFOs come out of nowhere? They hover over the city, New York City. They land over Washington, D.C. And they land over the community. And people are like, oh, my God, like, what do we do? Like, they got their coffee in their hand. They see this UFO that's invades is something that's totally unexpected because in their world the only real power that they've seen is the power of the enemy to control their community mm. but here they are now being confronted with a power that's greater, that's seemingly greater than the power of the ones who occupied their community. Look what happens next. Y'all with me? Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And y'all probably thinking, wow, that's, that's, that's cute. Right? It's a, it's a heavenly choir. They're singing songs from heaven in the view of the shepherds. But the thing here, this is a terrific, uh, almost terrifying, awe-inspiring moment because these aren't just angels sitting there singing like in a choir. It says the heavenly host in the Greek it literally means an army that's in heaven, that's right there with them, and they see the spiritual army singing songs. See, the world's army oppress, mm. coerce, control, impose, terrify, motivate you simply by fear. But in this story, the shepherds encounter an army when they show up, and you got to think now, they're probably thinking, these, these dudes right here are bad. Right? The, 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 the heavenly army. Right? And they're probably thinking now like, wow, okay. These cats is, is like, more powerful than this cat trying to control my community. There's a force 
that's more powerful in the world, operating in the world that's more powerful than the forces that would try to control and then sometimes try to destroy in subtle ways my own community. <laughs> and so what does this great army do? What do these army of angels do? This, this vast network of legions of heavenly hosts. What do they do? Do they take up arms? Do they drop nukes? Do they uh, give out glocks? Or what do they do? They sing. Songs of mass redemption. Not weapons of mass destruction. Songs of mass redemption. That's what the heavenly hosts have. They don't have nukes and biochemical weapons. They don't have poison in the water. They don't have anthrax. They have a song. What? Why don't you just go take them out? <laughs> and the song that they sing is a song that we sung earlier with the teens and Dustin and Hannah. It's called uh, Gloria Excelsius in Excelsius Deo. Right, that Latin song they sung in the beginning. Some of you are probably like, what in the world language is that? What is, what is that? That's Latin. Which means glory to God in the highest heaven. Gloria in Excelsius Deo. And in Christian history, it's called the Greater Doxology. It was a, a, a resounding sound, a song. In the, in the songs of the word, the words of the song are glory to God in the highest heaven. Mm. <clears throat> what were they saying? We represent a power that's greater than any other claim to power in our world. We were sent from the God that sits in the highest heaven. Rome may want to call claim Zeus or whoever the God of Zeus or Rome or Emperor Augustus. He made and he was deified. He was worshipped as a God. So they're saying that this God is higher than Augustus, than the one who sent the troops into our community, the one that will try to oppress and control our community. We have been sent by a higher power. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So this army comes to bring good news. That God is about to show up and bring his peace to the world. Interesting side note. The Romans said the same thing. They call it Pax Romana in the Greek, in the Latin. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. By them having a census and conscripting men and taxation and burdening and, and oppressing and taking from the poor and giving to the rich, the Romans called this peace. <laughs> It's like, you know, in the reverse, you see the invasion movies and the UFO shows up and the alien says, oh, we come in peace. And they take over. Right? 
That's kind of like the Romans were. So the, the, the angels of heaven have a, come operating out of a different reality. They're saying that this is the real peace from the real God who's about to show up in history. And this is one of the things that always, even before I became a Christian, I didn't understand this. What is the role of Christianity in the world? They say it right here. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. Did you know that? Part of our mission as Christians is to bring peace on earth. I know, I know. The end of the world, mark of the beast, the rapture. We're trying to get up out of here. But the passage says here that God is about to show up in a way that you think he may show up in the world, that, the kind of world that you live in, because real power in that world was by force and coercion and fear, using weapons and soldiers and, 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 and physical conflict. But the angels show up. The heavenly hosts show up on Christmas Day. Saying something totally different. They're singing a song of who has sent them. In verse 15 it says, And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. See, Christmas is not just about just giving of gifts. We get that, right? We all understand that. We follow Jesus. We understand that it's about the birthday of Jesus. But I want you to understand that 2,000 years ago, the celebration of Christmas is more than just celebrating the fact of his birth. It's celebrating what invaded the world. What Jesus initiated in the world, what God had done through Jesus in the world. God sends peace to a family in a world that considered them nobody. God said, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change the world through somebody who is not important. I'm going to go to the favela, the barrio, the ghetto, and find a vehicle and instrument of my redemption to bring peace on earth. That's why I love my conscious brothers and sisters. They quick to tell me, yeah, Anthony, yeah. Uh, the Egyptian emperors, the Egyptian kings, they had to say to the Christian stole from the Egyptians, right? Yeah, yeah, but see, when y'all say that, Pharaoh oppressed people. Look at your kings. Look at your emperors in the ancient world. See how they ran their society. See how they controlled their, their nations and their political structures. They were not nice. So yeah, I get it. Christians claim divine origin for Jesus. But I want you to understand that Jesus did it distinctively different. Jesus was a nobody. Jesus wasn't in Rome. Jesus wasn't from Cairo. He wasn't from Egypt. Jesus was from Bethlehem. 
This is what makes this Christmas story so remarkable and crazy. The God who became nobody took on the flesh, incarnated, chose to, to bring redemption and peace to the world through the vehicle of a human person who is, was considered nobody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And so as Christians, we have to understand, you know, one of the things that I do, uh, one of the ways that I pray, I don't think I'm crazy enough for real. One of the ways that I pray, there's been different ways to pray, I write haiku. Y'all probably, probably see me post this on the Facebook page, right? Haiku is, for me, is a form of prayer. I pray in other ways, you know, I pray verbally and so forth, and meditation and contemplation, right? But I also uh, pray in haiku. Y'all remember from middle school? You had to do those haikus, Japanese short form uh, poems, right? I try to stick to the 575 structure, y'all. Any haiku nerds in the house? No? Okay, all right. Y'all know I got to be different, so. And reflecting on this story, a haiku came to me. Now, the thing about a haiku is it's a spiritual discipline where you're listening to the world around you. And for us Christians, listening to the world around us, but also listening to God and also listening to what's happening inside of us. And trying to find a way to express what needs to be said in the midst of all that. So as I'm reading this story about power and, and soldiers and military and nobodiness and God showing up, bringing peace to the earth, a haiku emerged. <clears throat> and it reads thus. Emmanuel, here, in places unnoticed the refugee light God with us Emmanuel but when God shows up and we call him God with us what you cannot miss is how God does it God shows up in the unnoticed places in the world. Promises the transformation of the world. He starts that, that revolution, that initiative, that movement in the places that you don't even notice. This is what makes God of the Bible so strange. He picks up slaves out of Egypt. Snatches from the, the jaws of Egyptian political power and carves them out and says, you are called and chosen for a special purpose. And then he, 2000, you know, some years later, centuries later, in a small little town of Bethlehem, he chooses Mary. That's why Mary's baffled. I am of lower state. Why are you considering me? The angel had to bless him. The angel had to encourage her and affirm her. So heavenly power is different from earthly power. We're looking for the flex of the muscle. We're looking for 
the way to win through the beatdown, through the destruction with our words, through the abuse, whether verbally or psychologically. We, we think that overpowering others is the way to go in this world. But one of the things we learn from Christmas is that God unmistakably shows up in the places where there is no, seemingly there is no power. Notice I said seemingly. This is what Christmas is about. Yes, it's celebrating Jesus. It's celebrating how God became a human being in occupied territory. He was an occupied human being. This is how God shows up at Christmas. So for Christmas this week, I want you to think about the unnoticed places in your community, the places you drive by you don't pay attention to. Listen to the cries of those who are screaming out for justice in this land. Because I guarantee you, just like in this Christmas story, God is somewhere, somehow in the middle of that. Because God had disturbed trouble. This is Christmas, y'all. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, Lord, we thank you for um, your word this morning, God. We thank you for the beautiful children who sung and danced and gave us great joy this morning, God. God, we thank you, oh God, that you bless this community with such energy and such youth, God. God, we don't even, we don't even consider them future leaders. We consider them current leaders, emerging leaders in our midst. God, we just thank you for the favor of God, that you would favor us, oh God, to be able to lead and be in present in their life, for them to teach us as well, God. God, thank you for all the families that are present here this morning. They will come together, God. I pray, oh God, as they celebrate Christmas this week with each other, that they will love on each other, that they will forgive on each other, that they will remember the beautiful times that they shared throughout the years together. that they would appreciate each other, that they would not take each other for granted, God. But also, God, as families, as a church, God, give us the eyes to see the unnoticed places, even in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, in our cities and community. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying regarding this. And God, let this Christmas season going into the new year, God, be the best year, God. Let your revolution that you started through this particular ministry, God, that it will shine brighter and illuminate more in this community, God. God, I pray, oh God, that you will set your people on fire like luminaries in the spirit, God. That they will discover who they are in this kingdom. 
and that you were sent to be light and salt in this world. Jesus, we just want to say happy birthday to you. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for saving us from the power of sin and death. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to enter into our lives, to lead us and guide us into all truth. Jesus, we thank you for loving us, for extending grace when we fell off the path. We thank you for dying because of our sin. <laughs> God, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for Mary an obedient single mother. Let this Christmas be a blessed time. In the name of Jesus, amen.